Good morning. My name is Derek. Uh, it is my privilege to be lead pastor here at Faith Church, and it is my privilege to serve along a spectacular team of people like Ed, like the rest of our staff team and our elders, and it is a blessing to be part of a church family with you, so thank you. Um, 2020. I've been talking about this a lot, but you know, it seems like where we need to start sometimes. 2020. Uh, we, we watched uh, Mrs. Davies talk about that God is preparing a place for us. And, and something that Ed just said struck me. We want to go to heaven, right? We look forward to the day. We look forward to God making all things right. But we're here right now, right? And that's really, uh, I think, a little bit about what God has for us in God's word today. As we think about 2020, hopefully it's not all bad. The memes that are circulating online, the cultural uh, discourse, would, would have us think doom and gloom, I think, about 2020. But we've been asking each other and spurring each other as a church family to, to think about it differently and to think about, okay, what's God doing here? These are difficult things that we're experiencing in our lives, but what's God doing? What does he have for us in this? What are his purposes? And so hopefully it's not all bad. I, I hope that you are recognizing God's blessing in your life. I pray that you have things that are joy, a joy to you in your life and where we see uh, God's care through others. But that doesn't mean that there, are, that there aren't difficult things. That doesn't mean that there aren't some reasons why 2020 is developing a reputation. <laughs> what are some of those things that you're experiencing? What are some of those things that I'm experiencing? What are some of those things that we are experiencing in our, in our, in our world, in our country, in our state, even in our, perhaps even amongst family and friends. And, and if you have the opportunity to self-examine, if you're like me, even to discover what's swirling around in here. What are some of the things that we're experiencing? Tension. Ag uh, conflicting agendas. Tribalism. Division. Polarization. Arguing. Uh, attitudes of me first, and what's best for me, name-calling, selfishness. And remember, I'm pointing, I'm pointing here too. And, and I'm asking God to, to help us relate here to what we're experiencing in 2020. Big picture, and, and in our closer circles, and in our own hearts. Selfishness, a my way or the highway attitude. When, when, are, do we experience unkind words flying around between people that we observe? Do we observe unkind words falling out of our own mouths? Is there a tendency to condemn? Do we see people jumping to conclusions? Do I make assumptions? Does anybody suffer from impatience? A poor attitude, stirring the pot instead of being a peacemaker. These are things that we're experiencing. This is why 2020 is beginning to have a bad rap. Do you see some of those things around you? Do you see some of those things in your own shortcomings, in your own sin? I do. And it upsets us. I hope it upsets us when we see these things, these attitudes, and these characteristics that I described. It upsets us. I hope it does. It upsets us because deep down we know it's not the way of Jesus. Deep down we know what we see around us in our culture and in interactions and in the news media and in our own families and in, in our heart is not the way of Jesus. 
This morning in my time in God's Word, I, uh, God brought me to, uh, I mean, my reading through the Bible brought me to Psalm 145, and verse 8 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that my Bible reading today had that for me because I need, I'm thankful for what God has done. I need his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. That same Psalm, Psalm 145, verse 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion, God, endures throughout all generations. I needed to hear that this morning. Because our earthly life can be difficult. And we think earthly life, sometimes we have a tendency to think that our earthly life is all there is. We sometimes think of our earthly life as very long or even it feels unending. But what really is true? That God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He endures. And, and, and church family, he has a blessed life for us now. Now, too. Yes, in eternity. Yes, with him in the future. Yes, when Jesus returns and sets all things right. But God has a blessed life for us now as well. And that same psalm has verse 18 as well. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Do you need that reminder? The Lord is near to all who call on him. So if he's near, so we know he is near, we know his kingdom endures, we know his kingdom is everlasting, let's look then to Jesus together this morning. Let's look to him in his word. Open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you would. As we always say around here, we love you to bring your Bible with you to worship. We love you to open it and keep your finger in the text. You can use a Bible, you can use your digital Bible on your app, whatever, and, and follow with us keeping your finger in God's word so that we can hear from him. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is one of the gospels in the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that tell the story of Jesus' life. And in a few minutes we'll, we'll start our journey in this new teaching series through chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. So we'll start in a moment at, at, chapter, at chapter 5 verse 1. But let me just say this series that we're beginning today. This series that we're beginning today is called Kingdom Life. And it's going to be uh, many weeks into the future, many months into the future here, that we're going to work our way through Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7, which are known uh, as the Sermon on the Mount, this chunk of teaching from Jesus' own words. And we're going to work our way through that, and, and we've called this series The Kingdom Life because this is, is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to see what does kingdom life look like? What does Jesus say that our lives will be like, how he wants to live through us, how we can live out a kingdom life. This is going to be really interesting. And, and, it's, and we've already talked about this a little bit. We want to go to heaven. We want to experience Jesus fully. We look forward to him making all things right. But we're here right now. And so kingdom life, this series through these chapters of the Bible, is, is going to help us come to a reality, a, a think about following Jesus, the reality of following Jesus, that is we can live in the power and presence of the kingdom of God today, even in the midst of our everyday 
world of the things that come at us in our earthly journey. These teachings from Jesus that we're going to study, they form a pretty challenging standard. We're going to see in these chapters, they form a pretty challenging ethic of what our lives should look like. We're going to see that Jesus, in Jesus, what Jesus teaches here, he expects his people to live out. This is characteristics, behavior, following Jesus in a way that Jesus expects of us. He teaches it. He expects it of us. But you know what my favorite part is? He then enables us to live it out. It's not up to us on our own strength, on our own merits, trying hard, hoping that we match up. He teaches it, he expects it, and then he enables us to live it. That helps, right? So as we enter into this teaching and we hear what Jesus has to say, remember that he's going to enable us. So what is it? this is what the question we're going to be asking ourselves as we study the kingdom life. What, what does it look like for me? What does it look like for each of you? To live out a kingdom life. To live out a life that is radically different from the world around us. What does it look like to live out a kingdom life in the midst of our 2020 circumstances? So before we get to chapter 5, let's really quickly consider the context here. Let's consider the whole book of Matthew. Why are we looking to Jesus? Why would we listen to Jesus' words? Let's, before we start on chapter 5, let's consider the context of the whole book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus' life. Think about how, if you, if you want, you can even flip back real quick to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and you'll see that the book of Matthew begins with a genealogy, a genealogy of Jesus' ancestry, his descent. And what's the point of that genealogy? The point of that genealogy is to say, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the promised one, the rescuer that was promised to come and and rescue his people. That he is king of the Jews. That's the purpose of that genealogy. And then if you were to flip to the end of Matthew, chapter 28, at the very end of chapter 28, and you would think about how the book of Matthew ends, it ends with what we commonly call the Great Commission, this charge that we followers of Jesus are to go and make disciples, to help other people follow Jesus. But before Jesus says that, he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So the beginning of the book of Matthew is to show us that he is God's son, the promised rescuer, the king of the Jews. The end of the book of Matthew, Jesus himself says, all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm not just king of the Jews, I'm king of the universe. And all authority has been given to me. So the bookends of the book of Matthew tell us about Jesus' authority. His authority. That's a good place for us to start. The Lord is near. Jesus is near. And he is king of all. And he has authority. So let's hear him teach. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, so from here out we have Jesus' words, but those first two verses introduce the Sermon on the Mount, introduce this time that Jesus will be teaching. 
the Sermon on the Mount is, in, we saw in those, in those verses that who came to him? Disciples, his students, his followers, those who had already committed really to following him and to seeing where he leads and, and how God would, what God would show them through him. His disciples come to him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This teaching is Jesus to his followers. It's instruction for his disciples. But those verses also mention that who else was around? The crowds. There's also these, throughout the ministry of Jesus, there's also these crowds that follow Jesus and and are sort of hanging around and hearing and listening. And while Jesus' teaching in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is for us as his followers, his disciples, he always knows that the crowds are listening and he invites them to the kingdom of God as well. He invites them to find new life in God as well. The Sermon on the Mount begins, so we got the context of the book of Matthew, beginning and end, teaching us about Jesus' authority. Now let's think about how the Sermon on the Mount begins and how the Sermon on the Mount ends. The Sermon on the Mount begins, as we just read, that Jesus goes up on a mountain. And we might just skim past that, but in the biblical record, the, uh, up on a mountain is significant. And if you think about your knowledge of the Bible and, and, and significant times of God's instruction, there, there probably, there, there often is a mountain involved. So this is not insignificant. Jesus goes up on the mountain to signify his authority and that God is going to speak through him. And furthermore, you see Jesus sit down, which may not, again, strike us as much, but in those times, it was the posture of a teacher, It was the posture of a teacher, sitting down with authority to teach. And how does the Sermon on the Mount end? If you were to skip ahead and look at the end of chapter 7, you'll see that the Sermon on the Mount ends this way, that that the people, the crowds, were astonished. They had listened to Jesus' teaching, and then it says they are astonished. Why? Because he spoke as one who had what? Authority. It was like nothing they had ever heard before from their religious leaders because Jesus spoke as as one who had authority. He's king of the Jews, king of the universe. And the Sermon on the Mount will challenge you and I to ask ourselves, is Jesus king of me? Am Am I just hanging around Christians because they're nice people? Or do I recognize the authority of Jesus and submit my life to him, making me, making myself, do you make yourselves his servant? Do you make him your king? That is what we are faced with as we, as we listen to his teaching. So now let's continue in Matthew 5, uh, verse 3. And here we have the beginnings of what is called Uh, often referred to as the Beatitudes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to continue in a moment and read a little more quickly through these Beatitudes and talk about some of what they mean. But let me just say what's going on here a little bit first. These Beatitudes, this, this list we're about to look through, really kind of summarize the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. They, these Beatitudes are, again, instructions for disciples. They, they give us an idea of, of what a kingdom life looks like. As followers of Jesus, what are things that he's going to do in us? What is the transforming work he wants to do in our hearts and lives? What are the lives and characteristics 
that will result, that will grow in us as God works in our lives. That's, that's what we're looking at here in the Beatitudes. The Beatitude, the word Beatitude is a Latin translation for the original language here for the word that we have in our English, blessed. Beatitudes is a Latin translation of the word now in our English Bibles that means blessed. In Jesus, as his people, we are blessed by God. Ready for this? Regardless of our circumstances, right? We're not really talking about what we sometimes kind of tritely refer to as happiness. Our happiness is often up and down with our circumstances, right? And if 2020 is gaining that reputation we talked about, perhaps we're not so happy about it. But blessed people, followers of Jesus, who have submitted their lives to God through Christ, are blessed apart from circumstances. We are well We are at peace, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the difficulties. We are blessed. And then then verse 3, you also saw a mention of the kingdom of heaven. So before, as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, as we get into these Beatitudes, it's important to understand, too, what's the kingdom of God? What is Jesus referring to as the kingdom of heaven? Well, You may know that earlier in the book of Matthew, a couple of different times, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. Jesus is declaring the arrival of God's kingdom, the the initiation of his kingdom, the unfolding of his kingdom. And, And the kingdom of God is really the reign and rule of God over his people. The kingdom is the reign of Christ and it's, it's, it's his reign in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. It's his, it's his reign through his family, the church. And, and as, as, as God reigns, as Jesus reigns, as the kingdom of God is revealed, as it is becoming reality, as it is unfolding, then we as his people are being transformed. We're going to increasingly reflect his love to those around us. We're going to obey his laws. We'll honor him. We'll do good things for others. We will uh, proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus to others. These are things that, that as the as the kingdom of God unfolds, will become true of us, his people. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. When he was here 2,000 years ago, he said it is at hand. It is beginning. So the kingdom is here. He has a kingdom life for us to live now, even in the, un- the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. And, yes, the kingdom will be fully realized when Jesus returns and sets all things right and establishes his kingdom on earth. So there is a sense in which the kingdom is already and also not yet, also still coming. That's the kingdom of God. Let's look through the Beatitudes a little bit. Verse 3 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit refers to spiritually bankrupt, needy, recognizing we can't do it on our own, recognizing that I can't save myself, that I continue to fail and fall short and sin and go against the glory of God. The poor in spirit are recognized that they're spiritually bankrupt. The poor in spirit realize they need God. And that verse ends, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Our sin, our rebellion against God should lead us to mourning. Our sin leads us to to a, a, a longing for forgiveness and healing. When we realize the ways that we go against God, the ways that we sin against him and, and others around us, we ought to mourn. It ought to, it ought to, it ought to convict us and real, help us to realize that we long for forgiveness, that what we need from God is his mercy and grace and forgiveness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. This is, a, this is a strange word for us because it's one that we don't come across. It's one that we don't use a lot. Blessed are the meek. But this is not saying weak. The idea here is blessed are the gentle, humble. Not, not, a, not a bully, not someone that's domineering, but blessed are the meek. Someone who is gentle, humble, trusting God for all things. For they, the Bible says, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? If we recognize that only God is righteous, that only God is, is perfect and holy, if we recognize that only God is righteous, then we will hunger for that, right, for that righteousness. We will hunger to, to honor him and to serve him and to help ask for him to transform us. The hung, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So let's pause there for a minute, and we're going to continue through the list in a minute, but let's stop for a minute. According to Jesus, in his word right there that we just studied for a few verses, according to Jesus, who is blessed? Think about those characteristics that we just covered. Look at that list in front of you. According to Jesus... Who is blessed? What kinds of people? What characteristics describe people that are blessed? And then here's the question I feel like I need to ask myself sometimes. Is that list or are those characteristics the same that we in the world think of of people that are important or, or strong or important or blessed? I don't know. I don't think that's always the perspective I have, right? I mean, what are some of the things we tend to value if we're not careful? We look around us and we compare ourselves to others, and oftentimes we compare ourselves negatively to others, and we think of what everybody else has that we don't have. And and we think they're blessed. Those that are smart, those that are funny, those that are rich, those that are tough, those that are courageous, those who are wise, those who are agreeable, those who are attractive— is that who Jesus is saying in God's word is, are blessed? Are those the characteristics we just read? I think we in our world prioritize or highlight characteristics like that and think those people are blessed. They have it all. They've got it. But look what G- who Jesus is saying is blessed. He's saying, no, not those kind of characteristics. Here's who I think is blessed, Jesus says. The poor, the sad the lowly, the mistreated. Uh, in my studies this week, I read this uh, from Pastor Doug O'Donnell. Let me just read it. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Welcome to the strange world and wisdom of Jesus. Welcome to Jesus' narrow gate theology, teaching that separates the crowds who want health and wealth in the here and now, separating the crowds from the disciples who are willing to deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow Jesus. He's saying, welcome to the strange world and wisdom of Jesus. This, this isn't what we expect. This isn't what we think he's going to say, perhaps. And then O'Donnell continues, welcome not, welcome not to the few, the proud, the Marines. That's who we might elevate. That's the kind of character and strength we might say are blessed and deserving and to be highlighted. O'Donnell writes, welcome not to the few, the proud, the Marines, but to the few, the humble, the followers of Jesus. Welcome to what it means to be a blessed disciple of Jesus. Again, as I was studying this week, um, one of the resource books I was using suggested this, that, that the first four Beatitudes that we covered are Beatitudes of need, helping us recognize our need for God. And, 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 and what we are apart from him, what we are without him, that we need God. And he's, this person suggests that the last four Beatitudes are a little bit more of action. Beatitudes of action. Actions that are pleasing to God because they are lovingly helpful to others. So if we are living out a kingdom life, if we submit our lives to Jesus and he is living, uh, living within us and helping us to live for him, what does a kingdom life look like? What are some actions of, of a person who's living a kingdom life. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Are you aware of God's mercy to you that you don't get what you deserve and that you do get what you don't deserve? If we are thankful for God's mercy to us, then we are to be merciful as well. A kingdom life is people who are merciful, who are kind to the hurting, forgiving to the guilty, following God's example to us, being merciful to us. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart is in, in, our, in our pursuit, our loyalty, our devotion to God in every area of life. Pure in heart is saying, is saying in every part of my life, I'm submitted to God. There's, there's a purity of heart that I'm devoted to God for everything I need. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Kingdom life people... Point people to God's peace. Kingdom life people look at the swirling circumstances of 2020 and, and put their lives on the rock. Peacemakers, life, uh, uh, kingdom life people are peacemakers who point people to God's peace. They urge people to find peace in God. We wait and work for God, knowing that God can bring harmony and wholeness. That God makes things right. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
who are wrongly treated, is persecuted, is wrongly treated for one's faith, for, for being a follower of Jesus, receiving abuse, mistreatment. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for their faith, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then 11 and 12 kind of follow up on that. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says you can rejoice even in the swirling circumstances of difficulty and persecution because your reward is ahead. Your, your earthly scenario might be difficult. Your earthly scenario might be seemingly unending. And yet he says, rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. Blessed are you when others persecute you. Um, I had a thought, just uh, something we don't have time for this morning. But uh, for those of you that uh, would enjoy a little extra work, a little extra time in your Bible later today or tomorrow morning, here's an opportunity for further study um, that I think, that I think is, is quite interesting. Uh, I encourage you to compare and contrast the first seven Beatitudes that we just looked through, and you can compare and contrast those with the seven woes that are found in Matthew chapter 17. So here in, in, our, in, our, in our chapter today, chapter 5, these seven Beatitudes are instructions to his disciples of, of what a kingdom life looks like, right? And then in, ver- in chapter 23, Jesus uh, proclaims these woes to some of the religious leaders whose priorities are not aligned. And he challenges them with these seven woes. And if you look back and forth between the Beatitudes and these woes, um, I think you'll find it interesting. So something you, you might want to do. Why might that be an interesting exercise? Because I think when we study the Bible, uh, it is often more comfortable for us to put us in the shoes of the, Jesus' disciples that are right there with him that are following, that are doing what he asks. We don't always read the Gospels and insert ourselves into the story as the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders that Jesus challenges with woes. So an opportunity for us to think a little bit about that. All right, as we wrap up this morning, I want to go back and consider uh, some of those characteristics and the Beatitudes that we studied in our passage this morning. I want us to go back and think, look up, you can look in your, in your Bible there, verses 3 and following, go back and look and think about that list of characteristics, the Beatitudes, of being poor in spirit, of mourning, of being meek, of being pure in heart, of being merciful. I think if we're not careful, again, our worldly value system sometimes is, is askew to this, Sometimes our worldly value system goes against what Jesus values. And we said earlier that we look around and we prioritize things like intelligence and humor and attractiveness. And we... so, so sometimes when we're faced with these kingdom life values, poor in spirit, meek, pure in heart, merciful, mourning, if we're not careful, we might go, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not, that's not the kind of person I want to be. I want to impress, and I want to, I want to, I want to be important. And so I don't, though I look at those characteristics, and we might go, man, 
I don't know if I want that to describe me. That doesn't sound like the things we value in our life. Those things might sound lame. It might sound lame to be those things. It doesn't sound like the people that we put on a pedestal, leaders and heroes and big names that dominate the headlines. It's because these are countercultural. The ways of Jesus are countercultural. The ways of Jesus seem upside down to us. They, they go against our worldly senses. And so I just want you to think for a second. Be careful if you go, man, I don't know if I want to be that. I need to be careful if I go, I don't, I don't want to be that list of characteristics. Because it's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's about submitting to God and being transformed into the image of Jesus. Do we want to be transformed into the image of Jesus or do we want to be impressive in the eyes of the world? So, do we need to be able to, do we need to live out the Beatitudes to be saved? Do we need to have it all together and be poor in spirit, mourn, mourn, be pure in heart? Do we have to have all those things ready to go in order for God to save us? Please shout no at me. No. no. We, do not, we are not saved by our behavior, by getting our act together, by trying hard to be a good person. You do not need to match up. We don't need all those things to be fully true of our lives to become a Christian. To, to receive the free gift of salvation from God through Christ and be saved. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is Romans 5.8, that while you and I were still stuck in our sin and rebellion against God, that's where we were. Not living out kingdom life characteristics perfectly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God enacted his rescue plan while we were stuck and messed up and not living out the kingdom life. Our salvation is a gift of God's grace that we receive by faith by putting our trust in Jesus Christ alone, period. Right? That's where our salvation is. And now, as followers of Jesus... We listen to Jesus. And now, as those who have submitted our lives to Jesus, we come to gather together with fellow Christians to open God's word and to hear from the words of Jesus. And we heard his teaching today. And what I'm saying now is you are not saved by your behavior. You are not saved by having to match up to all these characteristics. You've been saved while you were stuck in sin. Now that you're a follower of Jesus, though, he's not done with you. He still wants to change you. If you're, I've been walking with Jesus a long time and I was messed up a long time ago and he's changing me and transforming me and then I still blow it and mess up and he changes me and transforms me more into the image of Jesus and then, and then a few months back I, I'm, 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 I blow it and God changes me and yesterday I sin and God forgives and changes me. So we come to the word today and we begin the Sermon on the Mount. We begin hearing from Jesus' words and, and I want you to know this. Jesus teaches it, and he expects our lives to look this way. And that feels a little heavy at first, so I let it sink in, 
And then I remind you of the good news I reminded you of earlier. He teaches it. He expects our lives to look this way. And then he enables us to do it. We're not left to our own merits, our own strength. He enables us. He gives us the power and the ability, the desire to live this way. It doesn't mean we're perfect and we do it all the time. But he begins to work in us and change us from the inside out, making me a new person, giving me a new heart, a new mind, and new desires, and a new attitude so that I can live for him increasingly. These are, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes are ideal statements about the Christian life. These are kind of an ideal standard of what a kingdom life looks like. But it's not impossible because it's not up to us on our own efforts to live it out. Followers of Jesus, if you have submitted your life to Christ, God the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Not only does God rescue you from sin and death, but he puts his spirit within you, giving you a new heart and new mind, new desires. He gives you the ability to live for him as the spirit changes you and prompts you and leads you. These characteristics that we studied in the Beatitudes, they are an ideal statement about Jesus' uh, about Christian life. These characteristics in the Beatitudes are, are who we become because God is at work in our lives. They are not requirements to be saved. These, these Beatitudes, these characteristics that we just looked at, these are not the requirements to be saved. They're proof that you are saved. They're proof that God is at work in your life. There's something that we're not perfect, but we're on our way. He's working us in these directions. He's making these things increasingly true in our lives. That is why we are blessed. Because God is at work within us. That is who that passage describes as blessed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that our God, you are a God who doesn't leave us alone and stuck in our sin and rebellion, but you are a God who pursues and rescues. God, we thank you that you, that you purposed through Christ and the cross to give us the gift of salvation through Jesus. God, if there are those who have not yet given their lives to you, I pray that, that, uh, that those listening today would give their lives to you, that would realize we can't do it on our own, that we can't save ourselves, but, but instead, God, would we put, our, put ourselves at your feet? Would we, would we thank you for your mercy and forgiveness and receive the gift of salvation by putting our trust in Jesus? Father, we need you. We continue to fall short. We continue to live according to worldly values. These values in the Beatitudes still strike us as odd sometimes, and we're not sure that those are the things that we want to be. But God, I pray that as you change us from the inside out, that you would increase our desire to serve you, to become who you want us to be. God, I pray that you would increase our, our ability to submit to you in every area of life. God, we don't want to impress the world around us. We want to become the people that you are transforming us into. So thank you for working in our lives. We give ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.